You're listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. A reading from the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. These are the names of the Israelites who came to Egypt with Jacob, along with their households, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher, The total number in Jacob's family was 70. Joseph was already in Egypt. Eventually, Joseph, his brothers, and everyone in his generation died. But the Israelites were fertile and became populous. They multiplied and grew dramatically, filling the whole land. Now, a new king came to power in Egypt who didn't know Joseph. He said to his people, the Israelite, people are now larger in number and stronger than we are. Come on, let's be smart and deal with them. Otherwise, they will only grow in number. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and then escape from the land. As a result, the Egyptians put foremen of forced work gangs over the Israelites to harass them with hard work. They had to build storage cities named Pithium and Ramses for the Pharaoh. But they more than were oppressed. They more the, the more they were oppressed, the more they grew and spread. So much so that the Egyptians started to look at the Israelites with disgust and dread. So the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites. They made their lives miserable with hard labor, making mortar and bricks, doing field work, and by forcing them to do all kinds of other cruel labor. Continuing with Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Moses was taking care of the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro, also called Ruel, Midian's priest. He led his flock out of the edge to the edge of the desert, and he came to the God's mountain called Horeb. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire, in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but did not burn. Then Moses said to himself, let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't burning up. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I'm here. Then the Lord said, Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. He continued, I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've clearly seen that my people are oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cries of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. 
I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that is full of milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pesites, uh, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all live. Now the Israelites cried of injustice have reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I to go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I'll be with you, and this will show that what I am, one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Israelite, Israel or Egypt, you will come back here and worship me on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I now come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors have sent me to you, they are going to ask me, What's this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. So say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God continued, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how all generations will remember me. And from the New Testament, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He returned to the temple. All the people gathered around him, and he sat and taught them. The legal experts and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, placing her in the center of the group. They said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman is caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone women like this. What do you say? They said this, is t- they said this to test him because they wanted a reason to bring an accusation against him. Jesus bent down and wrote on the dirt with his finger. They continued to question him, so he stood up and replied, Whoever hasn't sinned should throw the first stone. Bending down again, he wrote on the ground. Those who heard him went away, one by one, beginning with the elders, Finally, only Jesus and the woman were left in the middle of the crowd. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Is there no one here to condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, don't sin anymore. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Gracious God, cleanse my mind, my heart, my lips as you cleanse the lips of the prophet Isaiah with the burning coal, that I may preach your good news and not mine, and that your people will hear your good word in spite of my failings. Amen. When Pastor Sarah and I were planning this worship service, I admitted that I'd asked for a relatively long 
scripture reading, so in return that will make for a short sermon. (laughs) I was puzzled, uh, Reverend McLaren in in the book um, that that we're using through the year, juxtaposed these two stories, the, the stories of the enslavement of the Hebrew people and Moses coming to them, and that of the woman taken in adultery. And, and I was puzzled by that because, at least to me, these stories don't go together. Uh, and McLaren's text didn't help me much there either. He talks about sort of a good news, bad news, as the Hebrew people come into Egypt and into slavery and, and with Moses. And he also confused me by going on about how we're like Moses and, and have choices to make. And then his point that God is on the side of slaves. These just seem to me very separate things. With the Exodus, we have a change of pace. We leave Genesis and go into a new and different place. We stop following God's beloved dysfunctional family and start following God's beloved dysfunctional people. The book of Exodus is a story of three places, of Egypt and a lot of water, of the wilderness and a lot of dryness, and of this promised land that Exodus doesn't take us to, that has to come later, but it's always in the future. And we can see it too as a story of three different peoples, those of the Egyptians, the masters, those of the Hebrew enslaved, and those of the Hebrew who are free. And here, I think, is where Jesus and the story of the woman taken in adultery fits. McLaren alludes to the story of this woman only obliquely when he says, and I'm quoting now, where others use their gods to defend an unjust status quo, Jesus believed in the God of justice and liberation where others saw a worthless slave, an exploitable asset, a damnable sinner, a disgusting outsider, Jesus saw someone to set free. And I think we can see this woman as someone who needs to be set free. One thing that comes out of both stories, I believe, is how easy it is to become enslaved. The Hebrew people followed Joseph into Egypt, and they did it for their own good. They did it because one of their own was in power. They did it to escape famine. They did it to better themselves, or so they thought, only to become enslaved. The woman, let's accept for a moment that the charge brought against her was true. By the way, just a quick footnote. You do notice that it usually takes two to tango, and there's no man taken with her. Just a footnote that women were really disfavored in this story. But sinful pleasure can become an enslaving addiction. I certainly have experienced that in my life. And I'm guessing that many of you have as well. That we begin down a path that we think will give us pleasure, only to find it, as the Hebrew people did, a trap. 
Each of us as imperfect human beings are vulnerable to exactly this sort of slavery because that's what addiction is. A slavery that begins with a choice that turns out to be the wrong choice. And where are we taking ourselves as slaves today? Where are our addictions? They're not always among the seven deadly sins. We know those very well. well I do. But we can be slaves to an opinion. We can be slaves to an us over them. We, we can be slaves to political slogans and to assumptions and to prejudice. And we can be slaves to our past. We can be slaves, for example, to a past that's a habit of self-criticism and self-unforgiveness. I don't know about you, but I've many times heard people say, oh, I can't come to church. If I came to church, the roof would fall in. No. Church is for people like us, where life perhaps has fallen in. Can we even recognize our own enslavement? The Christian story of salvation recognizes enslavement. We have three step, steps. We have sin and the slavery of sin. We have forgiveness and freedom, and we have repentance and change. The woman accused of adultery, the sin that enslaves her, she's forgiven and freed. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. And we have repentance and change. Go your way. And from now on, don't sin again. The Hebrew people were enslaved and had a Passover and changed as they will change through the wilderness of Exodus. We need to remember their change took 40 years. It's one thing to get the people out of slavery, but it's something else to get the slavery out of people. That's what we work on to get the sin out of our lives. That's what they worked on for 40 years. Today, McLaren is challenging us, I believe, to look into today's world for people who are exploited, controlled, used, in a word, enslaved. And we hear about them. We hear about them in the news. We know about them. But, and God knows that they're all around us. But we also need to look at ourselves. And, and, and that's where I want to leave us. That we look today to where we might be enslaved in sin or in self-defeat. And through the Passover blood of the cross and are changed through the waters of baptism to realize that we have been set free. As the Hebrew children pass through the waters to freedom, we have passed through waters to freedom. Let's hold on to that, that we're a freed people, that we've been freed by God, and let's hold on to that as we sing our closing hymn that truly a love divine all loves excelling. <laughs>